Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Support for this podcast comes from another podcast. The world's most valuable resource, it's actually data. Our data, based on our behaviors, is frequently being gathered, tracked, stored, and sold. So what does this mean for us? Join host Rafi Krikorian for season two of Technically Optimistic, where he'll take you on a deep dive into how our data is being used and what we can do about it. From social media feeds to foundational human rights, Krikorian leads us into territories both familiar and unexpected with openness and genuine curiosity. New episodes of Technically Optimistic drop every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Editor-at-Large of Recode. You may know me as someone who hasn't checked her email since 2007. I hope I didn't miss anything. But in my spare time, I'm just a reporter, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about power change and the people you need to know. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Jason Fried, the CEO and co-founder of Basecamp. He's back on Recode Decode today because Basecamp has just launched a new product called Hey, which it describes as a fresh start for email. I also want to talk about the tools like Basecamp that are helping people work from home more than ever. Jason, welcome to Recode Decode. Great to see you, Kara. So you've been here a lot, and I want to talk about a lot of things, including Hey, because I'm thrilled to be able to try to use that. But let's talk a little bit about coronavirus right now, because one of the things that your company, you have sort of put out a lot of strictures on your company that were already here in these, in these, what a lot of people are doing. So I'd love you to assess the landscape right now. Yeah, you mean remote work? Yeah. And yeah, you know, uh, first of all, I'm thrilled that people are getting the chance to go remote and that a myth has been busted. Anytime a myth has been busted, it's great. So the myth is that the office is a special place, that only great work happens in the office, that the office is required for people to get together and collaborate. And there's some advantages to being in person occasionally, but there's also a lot of disadvantages. So I love the fact that people are getting a chance to do this, even though it's a scramble for some and hard, a hard adjustment at sometimes. But the biggest thing I'm seeing that's going wrong, frankly, is that people are trying to, or companies are trying to basically port the office environment remotely. And if you think about like porting anything, you know, back, back when the web first hit, like in 95, 96, the graphical web, people tried to kind of port CD-ROM and DVD style interfaces onto the web because that's all they knew. There was this new platform called the web. They didn't know how to design for it. So they took a previous design from another platform, CD-ROM and DVD and moved it over. So all the buttons were very graphical and textured mm -hmm. and 3D. And then, you know, that doesn't really work. And then a, a platform needs time to find its place. And I think the web finally did that. And you can also see it in software, like if someone writes a tool for, for Windows and then ports it to the Mac, you can tell it's not quite right. And I think that's what's happening today is people are trying to port the office environment online. And that's not the right way to work remotely. So right. I understand it takes some time to adjust, but but I'm a bit disillusioned by the just like, let's just have the same number of meetings. Let's just have them online. Let's just do the same things we did before, but let's just do it online. That's not really the best way to approach this. I agree. So let's talk about what they are. Talk about some of the things that you think have worked before for you all and what you think needs to happen, given what we're doing. We are kind of like running crazy into the wall doing this. Like now we're going to do this, now we're going to do that. So let's talk about some of this sort of, start with sort of the higher level stuff. What is the, um, what's the high level things people have to keep in mind? And then let's get down into the details. Well, I think the first thing is um, from a leadership perspective, actually let's start really high up, which is a lot of people simply can't work full time right now. They have kids at home. They've got other obligations at home. And uh, I think leadership needs to recognize that, you know, like I'm only able to put in about six hours a day right now because I got to help my my family with with the, we have two kids, two young kids. And it's just, you know, it's it's a, yeah. oh, same thing. Yeah, same thing. It, it's hard. So I think it's important for leadership to first set the stage and let everybody know at the company that we know everyone can't put in. Well, not everyone, but most people can't put in full time work right now. Half right. of our company has kids. So um, and we don't expect that. 
we expect people to find the right balance right now and do the best that you can, and that's good enough for us. And and what why I, I'm going to press on that because I have that issue. A lot of people have that issue, and I've got to say some of the now I have I'm in a unique situation. I can do whatever I want, but you know my partner has to like uh, like really struggle with work and people listening to it and whose work who has kids and who doesn't or not the lack of knowledge about having kids. And everyone's been hit here because kids are either in daycare or they're babysitters or school or something else like that. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I think just part of it helps, I guess, when maybe leadership of a company has young kids because yeah, then they really course. appreciate what's going on and understand that this is a different, this is not, you know, here's the thing. This is not actually just remote work. This is remote work during a pandemic when childcare is unavailable, essentially, which is a different kind of remote work. So it's hard sometimes to evaluate remote work right now because people are like, I'm crushed for time. I have no time. Things are chaotic. Well, that's because of external circumstances, it's not because of remote work. So I think, first of all, I think just leadership has to be very accommodating and understanding and let their employees know that people have to figure things out right now. And I don't know when it's gonna get back to normal and it may not be for months and months and months or a year, who knows what it's gonna be. But part of that means the company has to slightly dial back its ambitions, perhaps, has to dial back expectations and give people time to adjust and just do the best they can. That's There's nothing mm -hmm. else you can do. You can't right. fight reality. Right, exactly. But And yet they aren't doing that. All right, so that's one. Another one. Yeah, so that's one thing. Um, the other thing that's, I think, hard for people right now is the communication styles they're used to. So in an yeah. office, most communication is real time. People are pulling people into meetings. People are just yelling across the hall or the, the office. People are going and walking over to someone's desk and having a conversation. That's all real time communication. And of course, even in, in person, people use chat tools and whatnot. The real advantage to remote communication is asynchronous communication. It's slowing things down and writing things up in a deliberate long form format and giving people time to absorb it and respond in kind on their own time. We don't need to turn everything into a real-time conversation. And that's why I think a lot of people are feeling the chaos right now is because uh, real-time conversations remotely are actually way more exhausting than they are in person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Sitting on Zoom yeah. calls sucks. It, it does. sucks. It does. I think meetings suck in general for the most part. Yes, but, which you've talked about. Yes, but Zoom meetings, mm -hmm. while Zoom's a good product, but like, it sucks to sit on one, right? Right. All of them, all the video, whatever it is, it sucks. So we got to stop doing that. We got to write things up instead and give people more time to themselves back. So people need longer stretches of uninterrupted time. Mm -hmm. And then you can really take advantage of remote work, especially because people's days are maybe scattered a bit. Like I take a break from 11 to noon to help with the kids. I take another break from two to three and I put in an hour or two at night to make up for that. So I can't be involved in real-time conversations during the day because my schedule is different and someone else's schedule might be different. So asynchronous is nice because I can get back to people when they, when, when I have time, they can get back to me when they have time. And there's no rush, there's no, no sense of always having to pay attention to every single conversation as it's happening for fear of missing out if you don't jump in immediately. So that needs to happen. Now, what is the benefit of them at the same time? You know, I have some friends that they're not doing any meetings and they don't feel linked with anybody. What, what is there yeah. a benefit to doing some of these and how should they be done? There are. I would say though that you know a lot of the benefit. How many do you do? How many does your company? We don't. We don't really have any scheduled meetings. Um, okay. So what we do is, um, if one or two or three people—not one, but if two or three people need to get together to talk about something, they'll just spin up a Zoom or Skype or whatever people want to use to do that. There's not like a standing nine o'clock on this day. Yeah. Or we, we just don't do that kind of stuff here. We mostly write things up and share things that way. Um, but. I think there is definitely value in having face-to-face um, -face social time here. Um, and so we've done some things where, like we have a, on Fridays, we have like a game hour where people can get together and, and play a game together visual or virtually. We have um, something we do called the five by 12, which is five people randomly once a month get together on Zoom and talk about things for an hour that have nothing to do with work. So we have like a social hour that way right. and it's random. So you don't know who's gonna be there. And we just kind of do some stuff like that. And yeah, we do sometimes talk about work this way, but it's it's ad hoc. The, the idea being that face-to-face real-time should be the last resort, not the first resort. It should huh. be used when you level up. For example, if you're having a conversation, if you're writing something up and people are commenting back and forth and you find you're not getting anywhere or like right. you're just running in the mud, right. then it's time to go, okay, let's, like, let's, let's jump to a different medium okay. where we can have a higher uh, bandwidth sort of engagement here. 
And also, let's not have seven people on that. Let's have two or three. So mm-hmm. our rule is basically two or three max on a, any video call. You can't oh, have a bunch of talking heads. You don't like, like the whole the whole bunch of like the, the, the grid. grid. The grid. Yeah. Family. What was it? Uh, uh, what is that? What was that? I can't. I'm blanking. That show from Brady the seventies. Pretty Brady bunch. There we go. Yeah. Can't have that. I mean, yeah. That is mind-numbing and soul-crushing, and you're just sitting there and looking at everyone's faces. It's just like so uncomfortable and unnecessary. So I think in general, meetings are better when they're small teams. Most things are better discussed openly uh, by writing things up and giving people time to chime in and think about their response. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing, when someone shares something that they want feedback on, the person sharing it probably had a lot of time to think it through before they shared it. But then they put it in front of people and they ask for people to react to it. That's unfair to the receiver to just have to react to things while the other person had days yeah, to think fair. about it. Yeah, yeah. So in our, in our parlance, what we do is we write it up, we put it out there, and people spend, you know, may, might sleep on it, might get back to you the next day. That seems commensurate with the ask. Right. Because if you right. want my feedback, let me think about it. Give me as much time as I gave you to write it up. Right, right. And so using those tools, which is what you're talking more about is written communication versus written. video communication. Yeah, it's more like writing articles. I mean, at Basecamp, we write tons of long form things. And most of our write-ups are a thousand words. You know, they're, they're long form, right. detailed, complete thoughts. They're not one right. line at a time barrages in a chat room where you just can't get any traction on something because everyone jumps in and it's just like, you can't get your, it's like if you said one sentence and I said one sentence and you said one sentence and I said one sentence, it's just like, you can't have a conversation that way. You got to give people time to spill it all out. But chat rooms don't really give you that. Do you imagine once we get back to work, what we should abandon? I mean, there's a talk about the work from home movement. This, you know, Facebook announced different things. I'm not really clear what on everything they're doing, but um, yeah. it seems kind of all over the place. But I, I, I kind of get it. Um, Twitter has said you can work from anywhere. You know, tech companies are kind of leading the way in this. What do you imagine is going to happen to this work from home movement? Because it's been something that's sort of been nascent forever. I've worked from home most of my career, but not everybody has, for sure. Yeah, it's been it's been sitting back there. I think I um, I think ultimately we're going to see a hybrid situation where maybe people are going to be able to work at home a few days a week or have at least the opportunity to do so. When maybe six months ago, if you would have asked your boss if you could do it, they'd be like, "Hell no." Mm-hmm. Now it's like, "Yeah, sure." Maybe not all the time, but yeah, sure. And I think we're going to see. Um, uh, you know, when leases are up, offices downsize or perhaps go away. We've had an office for 10 years. Our lease is up July 31st. We're not renewing. We're going oh, officeless wow. completely. Wow. Now talk about that. Why? Is that because of this or just because no. you were headed that direction? We made that decision before, primarily because we <laughs> we had about 10,000 square feet and like three people there a day. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't yes. make yes. any sense, you know? Right. So right. for us, even the people in Chicago, which is where most of our, well, not most, where, where the biggest group of people work, Mm-hmm. Um, we mostly work at home every day anyway. So we just decided before this that we weren't going to do it. However, we were beginning to shop for a new place that was much smaller. Mm-hmm. And now we've decided just to, to call that off. So I think you're going to see commercial rents and real estate change. Oh, yeah. I think you're going to see office buildings change. I think you're going to see a hybrid situation. And I think people are going to crave the office again as well. Because when you're away from something for a while, right. you remember yeah. some of the fond memories of it. Then you get back to it and go, it wasn't as good as I thought. And then like, well, I want to find a balance. So if I can get to work from home two or three days a week, beautiful. And I'll come in two or three so days a week. So why not have yourself in office? Why not? You're, you decided not to do that. Yeah, well, that's primarily because we have 56 people at Basecamp and only 13 basically are in Chicago. So the majority of our company is fully remote anyway. Right. I, what I'm talking about is a company, let's say they had 500 employees in New York City. Everyone was in New York before and they have an office and everyone's in the same city. I think you're going to see more hybrid situations. For us, we've pretty much always been remote anyway. So it's kind of a let's just go all in on the remote thing for a while. And look, if we feel like we still need a headquarters of some sort, right. we'll get another one. It'll be there. What are you worried about going into something like that? What do you, what do you think you need to add in if you're going to go fully distributed? Fully remote. Um, I think it's a minds, I mean, we're comfortable with it, but like, mm-hmm. I think it's a mindset shift. Again, it's, it's a recognition of the fact that there's nothing special about an office. You've got to come at it that way first. Like we're not losing anything by going fully remote in terms of we're not losing. Okay. You do lose some things, but you gain some things. It's a series of trade-offs. So you can't right. just look at the negatives or the positives. It's trade-offs and you got to weigh it all. I think the hardest thing for a lot of people is going to be uh, battling a little bit of a sense of isolation as they get yeah. used to this. Mm-hmm. And also maybe the other thing I've heard is like, it depends. If some people are in the office more than others, someone might feel like they're being left out of certain decisions. So 
The company has to work as if everybody's remote, even if some people are local. What you can't have are two cultures, the local culture and the remote culture, because the local culture will pretty much always be favored. Right. So right. you've got to work as if everyone's remote. And then if some people are local a few days a week, it's a little bit of a, a cherry on top kind of situation, perhaps, but it's not like decisions aren't made in favor of that. They're made in favor of the, of the majority, which are remote. So that's, I think, really important because if you if you splinter and you have two two cultures. Right. That's a really good point. It's not going to work for the people who are remote. They're going to feel passed over. Anything that happens where they're not advantaged, they're going to say it was because of this. And then you end up with this office politics. Right. So a different kind of office politics. So when you're thinking about the, co- the issue of cohesion, what are the critical things to do to maintain cohesion yeah. that physicality does do just by proximity? Kind of. Here's the thing. Okay. If you have a company of a thousand people, mm-hmm. you don't see a thousand people every day at the office. You right. see your team. You see a few other people. Maybe you don't know whatever it is. So like this is to me really about teams working well together and then occasionally seeing other people from other teams. So as I mentioned, what we do, this monthly thing where we do this one hour call with five people randomly and they talk about things that aren't about work. These are pulled, people pulled from different departments in the organization in, in, inside Basecamp. And we have a conversation. And these are people who don't work together very often. So they get to know a little bit more about each other in a way that you wouldn't even know each other if you were in person because humans are like, we hang out in clicks. You hang out with the five or six or 10 people that you know, you don't know that other person across the hall or on the other floor anyway, even though you work for the yep. same company. Yep, yep. This method helps you see other people and meet other people across the company. The other thing we do is every Monday morning, Basecamp, the product, asks everybody, what'd you do this weekend? And it's completely optional. It's up to everyone to share whatever mm-hmm. they want. And right now it's kind of awkward because before it was like, well, here's what I did. I visited the grandparents. I brought the kids out to the petting zoo. Like now nothing like that's happening. But um, you get to see other people's lives in a way that you might discuss over lunch or over a drink or whatever it might be. So we kind of encourage that, which is really interesting. We have people all over the world. So you see all sorts of different cultures and all sorts of different experiences. And it's really kind of interesting. We also ask once a month, what books have you read recently? And people write up book reports and share them with everybody. And you go, Oh. oh, You're into Annie Dillard? So am I. I didn't know you liked her. She's a great right. author. And I never right. talked to you, but now we have something in common. So mm-hmm. there's plenty of things you can do without having to stare someone in the eye to get to know them. Is that helpful on on things like Basecamp and Slack and things like that? Do you think they take the place or is it, you know, what would be the biggest complaint you would have of these things? It's kind of what you're used to. If you're used to sitting around a, a lunch table and or, you know, whatever, a table and eating a meal with someone and talking, like you can't replicate that. So I think the most important thing is not to try to replicate things. I see. This is getting back to the earlier thing I was yeah. talking about porting. Right. You right. can't. You can't. So you got to come up with other things that actually work better. So with Basecamp automatically asking people questions on a, on a regular schedule, like we just turn that on and set it and forget it. And it happens. That works really well. That would be awkward to do in person, like to sit around and like recite book reports. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so like that would be weird, but yeah. it works well this way because it's asynchronous and it's on an automated schedule linkable. and the system does it. Linkable and right. commentable and you can discuss these things. And so you've got to play to the strengths and you can't just pine for the past and go, it was so much better when we can sit around a table. Well, yeah, it was better in some ways and other things you couldn't do that you can do now. So We just have to break from that and recognize whatever situation we're in, whatever context we're in, we have to take advantage of that context. And there are advantages in every context. And lastly, do you think the technology is good enough now? Uh, And then we'll start talking about the email stuff in a second. But do you think the technology is used? Because my kids doing Zoom school is terrible, just terrible. It's not. Um, We basically dropped out. I mean, to be honest, we've kind of dropped out. Yeah, Yeah, it's like, this is so stupid. And it's it's hard to, like, say that. Uh, And there there are no solutions except... You know, school may be something that should be analog. Um, maybe that's just the way it is. Um, Especially but, for young kids. I totally yeah, think so. Yeah. yeah. But what could be done to improve it? Because it looks like this might be for the long haul, for a yeah. while at least. I don't know. Um, we're going through the same thing. My my five and a half year old's in a Montessori school. And Montessori is mm-hmm. really about touching and feeling. And Yes, like, it is. That's my just like, if you can't really see. I mean, we can have some stuff at home. Yeah. But you can't really teach remotely that it just doesn't yeah it's hard so like here's some clay kid yeah here's some clay like we've watched some stuff on youtube we've watched some fun things and and like we've done some a lot of little projects and there's all that kind of stuff but the the like the teaching moments are i think more with the parents and less with the teachers right and that's just 
gonna be, I think, the reality for a while. And I don't, by the way, I don't blame schools or teachers. Like, no, no one knows how to do this. This is right. new territory. But would you, would you, you don't have an idea. You don't have an imagine of what it should be. I think, frankly, I think it'd, it'd be it'd be great if it was more social um, because kids can't really hang out right now yeah. with each other. You know, like they might at school a little bit or recess or just goofing around or during snack right. time or whatever. I'd lean more into that and less into like trying to really teach lessons remotely. I just, mm -hmm. I would give people more excuses to hang out with their friends online in a sense and just let them be. Yeah. I, I really think that's that's actually what's more of what's missing, I think, right now. Because there's lots of different ways to learn, mm -hmm. but there aren't as many ways to see your friends right now for young kids who don't know how to use this technology necessarily by themselves yet. So I think it'd be kind of interesting to do that, but I don't know. I really don't know. It's Yeah, it's kind of a mess. It's a mess. It's a <laughs> it mess. It really is. Anyway, yeah. we're here talking with Jason Freed. He's one of my favorite people to talk to. He's the CEO of Basecamp. We're going to take a quick break now, and we'll talk about a fresh start for email when we get back. Support for Decoder comes from Mint Mobile. Imagine you're at a very fancy, expensive restaurant. And as you're browsing the menu, wondering how you'll afford anything on it, you notice the filet mignon is a mere $10. At first you think jackpot, but then you immediately think, wait, what's the catch? Now what do suspiciously cheap steaks have to do with your cell phone bill? Well, we're used to seeing quote unquote great deals from overpriced wireless providers and also thinking, what's the catch? But with Mint Mobile, there is no catch. For a limited time, their wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. You can get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month. Go to mintmobile.com slash decoder. That's mintmobile.com slash decoder. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash decoder. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on an unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. We're here with Jason Freed, the CEO of Basecamp. We've been talking a little about how to cope uh, with coronavirus because Jason's uh, company has some really interesting ways to manage. But let's talk about this new product called Hey, which you are describing as a fresh start for email. I hate email. You know, I don't respond to email. I just got myself a new MacBook Air and I the, all the email came flooding back and I just didn't, I was sort of like, oh, couldn't it have just gone away in the, in the migration assistant somehow? <laughs> so talk a little bit about this and tell me where I can get this immediately. Sure. So, first of all, it's at hey.com, which is H-E-Y.com. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So hey is a is a, probably the most ambitious thing we've ever done and probably the stupidest thing we've ever done. Um, okay. I mean that in, in, a, in, in the most positive way in that we are um, establishing a new email service or service provider, meaning we're not a client that sits on top of Gmail or sits on top of Outlook or anything like that. We're actually an email provider. So if you sign up for hey, you get an at hey.com email address. Now, we're looking at email in a new way, because if you think about email, the last time you were probably excited about it was 16 years ago when Gmail launched. 16 years ago. Yes, exactly, yeah. yes. I remember the mad rush to get your Gmail email address and like there was invites going around and you were begging your friends for an invite if they had one. That was 16 years ago. And very little has changed since then. In fact, I feel like email has been abandoned. Uh, there's been some improvements here and there, but for the most part, you just described what's wrong with it. Things come flooding in, you have no control over it. You don't even have control over who can email you. 
I mean, that's a fundamental problem. I think there should be consent with email and Hey requires you to opt people in. So if someone emails me for the first time, they don't get in my inbox. I get to see them and go, do I want to hear from them? Yes yeah. or no? No, I'll never hear from them again. Yes, then they're in. So I now have control over the spigot versus today. I mean, your email address, everyone's email address, anyone who's had an email address for 10 years is everywhere. It's been bought, sold, traded, yes, posted. Exactly. So you don't have control I, over it I, anymore. I spend a lot of time unsubscribing. It's crazy. Yeah, but crazy. yeah. So here's the thing. You can sort of unsubscribe from mailing lists because you get thrown on them, but- You can't. You kind of can't, but also not only that, like you can't unsubscribe from people, but you can with Hey. So the fundamental premise of Hey is you control who gets through to you, number one. Second, not every email is the same. So I don't want to see a newsletter that I did subscribe to showing up next to an email from my doctor that's urgent. Yes. My exactly. urgent doctor's email and this newsletter I signed up for, like the newsletter is completely optional. I care about it, but I don't, I shouldn't have to fight through that to see my email from my doctor. So with Hey, we put email in these different places that you decide. Again, getting back to control. There's no AI here. There's no one deciding where your email should go. You decide. This goes in my inbox, or this goes into a place called the feed. The feed is for all my newsletters, marketing emails, and I can browse it like a news feed. Like I don't have to click into each one to open it and close it and open the next one and close it. They're all open and I just scroll through them and I just browse through them because they're not that important anyway. And then we have a place called the paper trail. And the paper trail is where your receipts go and your transactions go and, and your order confirmations go. And so all this stuff is out of your inbox. The only thing that's in your inbox is stuff mm -hmm. from people you really care about and people you've let through and you've let in. That's the first fix. You have to fix that. If you don't fix that, you're flooded. Just like you said, I'm flooded with this stuff. And that's why people have given up on email because it's out of control. In fact, it's basically anyone can reach you, anyone can throw something in your face, anyone can steal a piece of your yep. attention. That's yeah. broken. It's broken. Yeah. We don't right. allow it on LinkedIn. We don't allow it on all these other places. Why do we allow it in email? Now, you talked about this when you're talking about uh, Eric, uh, Gmail when it, when it came out, and obviously lots of people use that, and there is a lot of searching stuff like that, but it is still, why hasn't it been innovated on? There have been a lot of attempts. Like, I, I keep, keep I, I look at the litter of my apps. There was always an email app that was going to promise, and I can't remember all their names. I bet you do know them. They've all gone uh, away. Well, not all. all gone away. There's some good they ones. They got bought. Some of them got bought. Some of them got, you know, different things happened to them. Okay. So talk about sort of the evolution of this email. Why hasn't this happened? Is it because Gmail has a lock on it? And if Gmail doesn't, you know, my best yeah. email right now is Comcast. I hate to say yeah. that. <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? So Gmail is free. It dominates 50% of the market in the US. And if you add in Outlook, and I think Verizon owns um, AOL and mm -hmm. something else, I forget what the other one, it's like they, the, the big three or four Hotmail, Hotmail yeah. they own 80% of the market. And they're pretty much all free. So who wants to wade into that? Right. Like, who wants to compete with those, those, those companies? Like, right. most people don't. Now, part of the problem is that you, the things you've been describing is that there's all these email apps that have come and gone. Right. Those apps live on top of these existing platforms. That's exactly right. So you yeah. can't really innovate. You can't, the only thing you can improve is the margins because mm -hmm. you don't own the platform. So you, you're, you can only do what they let you do. And that's why there's not that much innovation happening. But when you launch a new platform, which is what Hey is, it's a new service provider, a new email service provider, we can redefine how all sorts of things happen, how delivery happens, how, how, how putting things in the right place happens, how saying no to someone happens. There's all these things we can do that you can't do if you're living on someone else's platform. Now, Hey is not free. Um, hey costs money. Mm -hmm. It's for personal account. There's two versions. It's personal and business. Business is coming later this year. Personal is what's launched now, June 15th, which is when this is happening. 99 bucks a year. So it's about eight, eight bucks a month, eight, eight and a quarter a month. And, you know, this is not going to be for everybody. We're not out there to try to take Gmail down. We can't. And why should we? And we're also not out there to go out of business, which is what happens if you offer free email. Like email is expensive to run. You can't offer Absolutely. free email. You can do it if you're Google. You can do it if you're Microsoft. You can do it if you're Apple. You can do it if you're Verizon. You can do it, you know, you can do it that way, but we're not that. So we're looking for um, people who really care, who live in email, who really care, who are fed up with it and completely disgusted by it and want a better way. They want to be in control of it. And they're okay with spending a little money because here's the thing, there's no such thing as free email. Right. Free email, you're paying for with your privacy, with your personal data, ads are being served up against you. 
That's not free. That's valuable. And we think that you know, we can offer something that's fully protecting your privacy, that in fact blocks all tracking. So this is something we're also doing that no mm -hmm. one else has done before. It's really remarkable. People don't realize this, but when you open an email, the sender can find out, depending on what they're using to send, if you opened it, how often you opened it, what your IP address is, so they can kind of find out your physical location, what brand phone you might have, they do. Um, how long you've spent on it, and just someone sending you an email shouldn't have any right to any of that stuff. It's, it's, it's happening with, against your will. And so we block all of that from happening. You still get to read the email, but the sender doesn't get to find out anything about you. That is a, a really strong stance that we can take because we're charging for email, first of all. And we're not in the privacy invasion business like all the big companies are, with the exception of Apple. And maybe Microsoft's not really so. And into Apple that. doesn't really. Ha Apple does have email, but not hasn't been as robust. They have as, iCloud, you know, you know yeah. the iCloud email, and mostly what they have is an app, uh, the Mail app, which you know you can use to check Gmail, which is pretty right. much what people what people that's use. That's what for. you do. You bring it in. Yeah. So that that's that begs the question. Uh, can you just repeat that again for people to understand? They track you in your emails. They oh my can god. Track you. There's there's about forty or fifty services out there that literally track whether or not you you get an email. There's no indication that you're being tracked. You get an email and you open it. It sends a ping essentially back to their server because once an image is loaded, and the images are usually transparent and visible, it's like a one pixel image. It sends back to their server, sends back all this information. Now they know all these things about you. It's why sometimes you get an email, from, like a cold email from a salesperson. They, they write you an email, you open it, and you get a phone call an hour later saying, hey, um, curious if you have any questions about the information I just sent you. It's like, well, how do you know that? Right. What? And it's like, well, they know it because you opened the email and they found out. It's none of their right. fucking business if I open right. their email. Right. But exactly. email apps don't protect you from that. We do. Right. Hey does. And I think this is a really strong stance and it's a line in the sand. And I hope it moves the industry because we all know that in a sense that we're sort of unfortunately being tracked on the mm -hmm. web. We understand right. there's a sense of analytics and it's just... But people Dana. don't know this is happening in email, and it is. That's terrible. The problem that you do have when I think about doing something like this is like my emails are now have lived for ten years. Either I have I have work Gmail two accounts. One I have one at the New York Times, one uh, at Vox, which uses Gmail as the base, right? Yep. As, as many many people do. I've got a Comcast email I've had forever. Uh, I have a Gmail account in my name. I actually have one of the earliest ones because my ex wife was really involved in the early days of Gmail. So I just have Swisher, you know, that's kind of one. thing. All the yeah. And so, um, and oh, now everyone's going to write me, but that's okay. I don't care. I don't, I don't look at it, so it doesn't yeah. matter. Write well, me there you anymore. go. So how do you manage all this? It's sort of like having all these closets full of crap that I just I keep shoving stuff into. And, and there is valuable email people have written me. You know, I have a bunch of emails for David Carr who died. I want to save them. I have a bunch of, you know, friends and then loved ones and, uh, you know, angry emails, all kinds of things I want to save that I can't separate from the shitty ones. Yeah. Like, so that's, how do you, you just have to start fresh. You have to go, new house, time to like, forget everything part of your life. That's this what we're doing. Um, and yeah. it's, it's going to be controversial. Yeah. But here's our take on it. First of all, your Gmail account's free. It's not going away. You can always go back there if you need it. I suppose, it. yeah. You can also export all of that into what's called an Mbox file and, and have it on your local computer if you want and yeah. import it. Like, you can keep these things, okay, if you really want to. But the thing is, you've described a handful of emails probably in your life. Yeah. Maybe there's a yeah. hundred. Maybe there's a thousand. Oh, there's think about, thousands, yeah. But th yeah. Okay, thousands. But think about how many emails you don't want to bring with you. Hundreds yeah. of thousands, probably. There's so much shit in the closet um, from using all these email services for a decade or more. I mean, my Gmail account has, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of things I never want to see again. Mm -hmm. I don't want to lug that stuff with me. I want a clean break. And in fact, to be honest, I think having things for 10, 15 years is a liability. It's like, yeah. I don't want the, my entire communication history it's stuck somewhere. Like, in fact, most companies these days have a um, data retention or deletion policy where they're saying, like, email should be deleted after a year automatically because there's there's discovery issues, there's all sorts of things. Yeah. Like, there's no reason to keep stuff around forever. So, in fact, Hay is right. drawing a line in the sand there, too. We're automatically deleting all emails after two years. Wow. Unless, and you can opt out of that, but we're opting everyone in it by default. Right. But we're also going to say you can selectively decide to take this email off that, like, conveyor belt to the incinerator. Or say, do you want to, why not tell them at the end of two years, we're going to delete it all. Do you want to save it into your local file? Could do that. 
there's a yeah. whole bunch of things we can do. I mean, we all, the other thing is like, we're going to be able to have this exceptions list. You can say like any email you put in a folder means you want to keep it. So those aren't deleted. Yeah. You know, any email yeah. from, you know, your wife, your husband, your business partner, your accountant, your lawyer, yeah. whoever you designate as important in your life, those don't get yeah. deleted. But the river of crap that flows by you, yes. which you of course is- you can't delete it. You can't delete it. It's really, it's fascinating. I use the Apple program, which is useless it, as far as I can. Yeah. Go. And here's the thing though, again, just to get back to the first point, which is that mm -hmm. with Hey, one of the fundamental concepts is you will get less email because you control the front door. You only let people in that you want. So while you've had to deal with 10 years of shit from Gmail, people getting your email address and just landing in your inbox or whatever, with, hey, that'll never happen. When they email you, you'll go, I don't want to hear from this person, no, and you'll never have to deal with their junk. What happens to the emails they send you? Does it just go into the ether? Basically what happens is, is we, we keep them around for 90 days in case you change your mind, mm -hmm. but you don't get to see them unless you change your mind. So they're there, you can decide like, Two weeks later, you know what? I should have let that person in. We're calling this feature the screener. I should have screened that, them in. Yeah, I get that. That's not what I mean. What happens when they're emailing you there and there's no response? They just don't, it's just no response. No response. Just, there's no autoresponder. Like, this is as if I don't want to hear from you. I'm just ignoring you, which is the way it should be. Right. Because right. you blast someone yeah. back with an with a autoresponder. Now they know, here's what happens with spammers, right? Now they yeah. know that that's a living email address and that email just right. gets passed around. By the way, I should also mention, we have spam protection too. Spam is a problem that is sort of, it, it's a real problem, which is like, you know, Viagra ads and, and like, you know, mm. the, the, the yeah. Nigerian prince trying to steal a million bucks from you, whatever it is, or give you a million bucks in that case, yeah, right? Give, give you, yeah. Right. Uh, but, it's, a real bar, it's a real bargain. Right, it really is. But here's the thing. Spam is spam, but most of the email you don't want to get is not spam. It's from individuals. It's from people. It's from services that maybe you signed up for that you forgot about. It's from a friend of a friend who got your email address from another friend. It's a salesperson. It's stuff that would never be considered spam because it's not defined as junk, but it's things and people you don't want to hear from. And so you get control over that right from the beginning. So over the next 10 years, Hey can guarantee you will get less email than you did when you used Gmail for 10 years. And that's a fundamental shift and it makes all the difference in the world. Right, all right, so, but getting, again, getting people back to the idea that they, they have to let go of email that they had it, is really important. It's gonna be hard, it's gonna be yeah. hard, um, and it's not gonna be for everybody, and there's gonna be a lot of pushback. So who, who are you aiming at? What kind of people are you aiming at? We aim at people like us, which is what we've always right. done, which is we build right. the tool that we wanna use, that we want to exist in the world, and then we find other people like us. And um, it's not gonna be everybody, but I think that people are going to find what we're offering to be very intriguing and they're gonna give it a try. And mm -hmm. what we've seen with, with people who've been early beta testers is once you use this thing for a couple weeks, because it's radically different in a bunch of other ways too, but once yeah, you use it for- Yeah, you're also not used to it. You're, you're used to the system they foisted upon you. It's sort of like, this is, it feels like, it feels like Soviet Russia. Like, oh, okay, that's how it works. Like, well, that's uh, part of the problem actually, is that today email apps don't come with a philosophy they just throw a bunch of features at you and go, here, you fend for yourself, you figure it out. We actually have a point of view about how email should work, and we have specific workflows built in. Let me give you a quick example. Um, let's, let's do again use Gmail, 50% of the US market. So massive adoption with Gmail, right? You get an email from somebody, you know you wanna get back to them, but you don't have time. Well, what do you do? Here's what you do. Star it. Star it, or you mark it unread again. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's just a dance. What? It's like unread right. doesn't mean reply later. It means unread. Yeah. Starring could mean one of 50 things. So like in Hey, there's a distinct flow. You, there's a button called reply later. And you hit reply later, uh -huh. it goes into a little pile at the bottom of your screen with all the other emails you said you'd get back to people later. You click that pile and you go into what's called reply focus mode. When you go into that, it opens up every email in your queue that you said, I need to get back to people later on. Oh my God, Puts a reply box next to each one. Puts a reply box next to each one and lets you knock them out one after the other oh, without God. being distracted by you know anything I else. I have them on my desktop. That's where they are. Right. They're on my freaking desktop. And then, then the computer glitzes out. What a it's, hassle. It, 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 literally, there's so many workarounds in email and it, it, it's, it becomes plaguing rather than pleasurable. Yes. Right? You know what I mean? Like, you should be really, our spokesperson. And, and, and in terms of like, I will be because I really, it drives me, because I have like, have you gotten my email? I'm like, no. I did not. I did not get your email. Yeah. I get a thousand of them. Yeah. I don't have, and I know there's important stuff. I, I the stuff I, I found like all of these communications 
things are really interesting. I found a text that I got from Mark Zuckerberg I didn't know I got because it was just like, oh, I should really get back to him. You know what I mean? Like it was, yeah. it was well, here's you know, the, I just, here's another, that was what it was. I didn't have, it was like, I can't deal with the flow of this crap. Here's another, here's another thing though that will help you with that, with hey, for example. So here's another default stance we're taking. With hey, all push notifications are off by default. Okay. Mm-hmm. No one needs to be told when to check their email. Like right. I don't need my phone buzzing, my, my wrist buzzing, whatever yeah, buzzing. I turn those off. Right. I do too. But you have to turn them off with other apps. You by do. default, they just l- crush you with them. So what's cool is Hey turns them all off by default, which gives you certain leverage. The leverage it gives you is this. You can then selectively turn them on for individuals you care about or threads that you care about. So for example, if you want to hear from Mark Zuckerberg, if Mark Zuckerberg ever emails you, you turn on not notifications for Mark Zuckerberg. Right. When Mark Zuckerberg emails you, you'll get a notification on your phone. So anytime you get a notification from Hey, you know it's from somebody you've opted in to be oh, notified sorry. about. That's amazing. Now notifications actually are meaningful because right, they're right. notifying me about things I care about, not notifying me about every inconsequential email that I've chosen to receive but I don't need to know about. So right, it flips right. those things. We're flipping things all over the place with Hey because, like you said. Email is just turned into this sort of just mess that people don't have control over. There's no workflows or ways to email. No one's been taught how to email properly, yet we do it every day and yeah. we all struggle with it. It's just yeah. a total mess and there's it's yeah. one workaround after another, after another, after another, and it needs to stop. It's unfair to people. And I, there's probably billions of hours wasted so every year I on this. I think the last, last question in this section, yeah. how yeah. come Apple hasn't done this? How come, I mean, they have an email product, but it's not good. They're not devoting any time to it that I can tell. Same thing with their music software, but that's in yeah. uh, iTunes. Well, I mean, but companies not a can only focus company. on so many things at a time, and I don't think they see that email is a good business. Like, it's not a good business. Because they're not going to make money off of yeah. it. They're not going to do ads. Think yeah. about companies like Apple and what they what has to happen with the things they focus on? Like they have to be mega billion dollar hits in order for them to be worth any of their energy. And email is just right. not that. And it's we're not going to be generating billions of dollars in revenue on this, but we don't need right. to. We don't right. need to. Yeah. We don't need to do that. We can generate tens of millions of dollars and have a wonderful business. So like right. we're at a different scale that helps us be able to do these kinds of things and mm-hmm. allows us to focus on things that big companies just are basically going to neglect because there's nothing in it for them. All right. Well, that is fantastic. I, I think I love you. We'll set I up said. a. Sh- I want to anyway, show you. So I'll show you I sometime soon. I'm so excited. Okay. I can't even believe. It. I just bought a new MacBook Air. I'm going to start a new life Ooh. with Hey. I think I'm going to have to. I, I feel like I'm doing an ad for you, but it's really a, an enormously frustrating problem for me. Okay. Um, so yeah, Hey.com, H E Y.com. People can check it out. Okay. All right. We're going to take another break now. We'll be back after this with Jason Fried, CEO of Basecamp, talking about some other tech trends that are going on. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. We're talking with Jason Freed, a CEO of 
Basecamp was one of my favorite people to have on. So talk a little bit about sort of trends, obviously in the news this week, which I'm, I've been part of, of this, this Twitter stuff going on, <laughs> regulation, there's the pandemic where people are like, tech companies are trying to redeem themselves. What do you think the most important things people should be thinking about tech are right now? Well, what's, you know, what's happening is that the big players are getting bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and bigger. And I think this is a, was a bad trend before and it's, it's a worse trend today. And I think we need to pay very close attention to it because it's only going to get more and worse and worse. And the small players are going to get edged out. And it's, it's, a bad, it's a bad trend. I mean, talking about trends, it's a bad trend. I'm not a big fan of it at all. So that's happening. You know, there's, there's some good there too, I suppose. Like, like when you can't go to the grocery store, but you can order online from a bunch of different firms, then that's, that's handy, obviously. So there's some advantages to that. But what's going to happen is, is they're getting market share and mind share and land share and, and, and all sorts of shares. And then when this is sort of over, they're going to still have those. And I think it's going to be harder and harder for smaller businesses to compete and get in there. So that's, that's now, nasty. Now, you've talked about the joys of not being big, like you, you, about like small limiting tech. business, yeah. small tech. So talk about why that's important. What, what to me is more important than small, actually, is independence. And, you know, if you're not out there swinging for the fences in terms of wanting to be a unicorn and raising a hundred million bucks and whatever, like you can actually do a lot of things differently um, and you can do them on your own schedule and you can do them for customers versus for investors or for the public markets or for a hedge fund or for PE or whatever it is. Like independence to me is the most valuable thing there is. And we've chosen to stay small because we're independent. If we were not independent, if we were backed by big money, we couldn't stay small. So it's hard to stay small and do the right thing when you raise money and you're beholden to other people's outsized expectations. We don't have expectations of ourselves beyond let's be profitable, let's do a great job, let's be content with the work we do, let's take care of our customers and our employees. Like those are our expectations. Outside of that, like we don't have revenue targets, we don't have any targets or any numbers or acquisition percentages we need to hit. We just don't have those things because we don't need to report that to someone else. The reason a lot of people have those things is because they have to do a deck every quarter to report to their boards, to report to the investors, and to grow, grow, grow on someone else's pace. We don't have that. I don't want that. I'd be miserable. You couldn't, I would not take any public CEO's job. You couldn't even give me a billion dollars to do that work. Mm -hmm. I don't want Mm -hmm. that work. That's miserable work. It's horrible. All right, but yeah. you're, let's just be clear, you're very uh, different than other people. Well, like, how, is there a movement towards that idea? I mean, everyone's now been stopped. I just did a great interview with Brian Chesky. Yeah. Like, they've been stopped, like, and now have to sort of rethink what matters. Do you think there's gonna, that's going to happen around tech? I think it has to. And I think, I think the Airbnb example is interesting because what they're basically doing is, I know, I know they had to lay people off and everything, which is always a tough thing to do and terrible for the people who got laid off. But what, mm-hmm. part of that message was that, I'm saying we, meaning if I was writing, if I was Airbnb, we are going to refocus on our base on the basics, mm-hmm. which is what is Airbnb really about? It's not about high-end luxury house renting. You know that was not the idea right. behind Airbnb. So I think right. Right. refocusing is always about. a healthy yeah. thing, and culling and cutting back and editing is healthy mm-hmm. in any endeavor. And I think what's happened over the past decade or so, since there's been so much money poured into tech, there's been no editing. There's just been adding. Let's do this and do this and do this and take this market and do this too and do that too and raise more money to do more things. And mm-hmm. there's been no culling. And mm-hmm. within, when there's no culling, you end up with a lot of stuff you probably shouldn't be doing, but then you end up with structure that you have to continue to support because you've hired people to do these things. And it's just, you end up with these behemoths that are slow and that, you know, they're not necessarily doing a great job in a lot of different areas. So I think, I, I do think that there's going to be a, an editing happening um, it's going to be painful in a lot of respects as people are going to lose work and lose jobs. But there has also been an undercurrent, I think, of, of, of companies looking to build sustainable businesses. And I think that is a wonderful thing all the time. And there's been some, there's like the zebra movement you maybe have heard of um, versus the unicorn movement. There's mm-hmm. um, a bunch of- um, Talk about that. Talk about that for people, the zebra. Yeah, the zebra, the zebra movement is kind of this idea that um, you don't need to be a unicorn. You should build profitable businesses, build sustainable businesses. And that, that's fundamentally what that's about. It's kind of the opposite of, of the unicorn thing, which is the unicorn is like, you know, you go to be- It doesn't exist. Yeah, it doesn't exist. And it's, you'd be the billion dollar, you know, or the mega billion dollar one hit wonder. Or not, I shouldn't say one mm-hmm. hit wonder, but dominator of an industry. There can be many zebras. Zebras are real. And they exist in the world and they're about being sustainable. And that, that's what that whole movement's about. But there's also things like um, uh, raising money, 
which, you know, it's not something I typically advocate for, but there's a whole new set of companies or, or, or investors funding companies at a different level now. You've got Indie VC, you've got Earnest Capital, you've got Tiny Seed. Um, there's, there's these different um, uh, investment firms now that are not about growing unicorns, they're about growing sustainable businesses. And they're about building profitable businesses. And this is a wonderful new movement that's happening. And it's giving entrepreneurs another option. Because before the only option was flat out bootstrap, which is hard, or right. go all in, which is harder, in fact. Right. And try to, because then they weren't, if like you didn't get the VC to give you the big money, then you were basically not validated and you couldn't yeah. do anything. Yeah. Terrible two options. So now there's something in the middle, which I think is wonderful. Do you think you can change Silicon Valley mindset? Because it is that sort of go, go, growth, get to the top, be as big as this idea. It's kind of a mom and pop shop kind of thing. Like it's a, it's a very different conceptual idea than has been in tech. I don't think it can be changed. I think it is, it is, it is a mindset. And that's uh -huh. fine. Like there is a mindset. The problem is, and it's fine that it happens in Silicon Valley physically. The problem right. is, is when every other city wants to be the next Silicon Valley and every mm -hmm. other employer company wants to be the next, you know, Google or whatever, when that right. infection spreads to the entire entrepreneurial world, that's a problem. I don't have a problem. Oh, he pulls out the infection there we metaphor, go. but there go there for we go. it. I don't mind that there is a mindset or a a group, a, a group, a physical location, a, a an option to go big. We need some of those companies. Sure, those those should exist, and those will always exist. But there needs to be alternatives, and there really hasn't been for quite a while. And now mm -hmm. there are more of those, and so I think that's a wonderful thing. More competition, not only for you know dollars and whatever, but also more philosophical competition about how you right. should build a business is a wonderful and healthy thing. Well, can you do that and then really impact? Like you're trying to change email. You kind of want to do it on a big basis, don't you? Uh, or, mm -hmm. you know, or not, or just this is our, our little. I'm not into changing the world. That to okay. me is like, Good. yeah, I'm not into that. Like, yeah. first of all, there's no such thing. There's many, many worlds. And, you know, if we can find 100,000 people like us who, who want to have a much better email experience, Right. That's a good career's worth of work. So your goal isn't to just say, look, Gmail sucks. I'm going to give the world a better experience. Because some of the things do have to be affected by the world. I mean, right now we're caught up in this whole thing around speech, which is, is such a ridiculous thing given, let me just reiterate, 100,000 Americans are dead now of coronavirus. That's really what, why this argument's going on uh, in Washington, because they don't want to talk about the actual problem. Right. Um, it, but nonetheless, there's these big debates going on about very large issues, and these companies are enormous. So how does a, an entrepreneur have an impact that is significant? How can you do that yeah. without being big? Well, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's a little bit about igniting a bunch of different fires. So, for example, with this uh, spy tracking stuff that's happening in, in Hay, we're going to be the first to do it. I fully expect others to do it, and here's why. We're going to open source this part of our, our, our Important. tool, that's in great. a sense. So we're, we're, we've put together a list of 40 or 50 uh, services that, that track people. We're, we're making that available. Mm -hmm. It's actually going to be up on, on GitHub, and other people can use that list and add to it. And like we want to, we if this if this feature ends up in twelve other products, wonderful. Like we don't have to dominate the world to have this spread. Mm -hmm. Same thing with mm -hmm. ideas. You know, okay. I think we've had. I mean, I'll be a bit boastful here. I think as a small Please. company, we've had a very big impact on the industry. You have. And yeah. we're a small company, but we have ideas and a point of view, and that spreads. And other people then pick up that point of view, and maybe some adopt it, maybe some change it, maybe some reject it. But it gets spread, and it gets spread into other areas, and then those things happen. It's like seeds blowing in the wind. You know, you, you, it's not about one seed. You've got to seed ideas, and then the world will, will go with what it feels is, is better. But you have to provide an alternative out there. And if our impact is 100,000 customers who are paying us for, for hay or 50,000 businesses that pay us for hay, but it shines a spotlight on the ideas that we have and the concepts we have and the point of view that we have and other things sprout up because of that, that's how you really change things versus just going out and trying to dominate the world. I just don't think that's a really effective way to, to, to make change. Very good point, Jason Appleseed. Um, <laughs> but um, but when you, I want to finish up yep. talking about what you think you've said and done that has worked and something that you're rethinking. Like, what, what do you think really has worked of all the various messaging about management of companies? Because you're talking about managing people, you're talking about managing companies and, and 
in a different way than is typical. Yeah. What do you think is the most, the thing that you've done that you think has the most impact? If I'm going to say you have impact because I do think people do listen to your ideas. And what do you think you're like, I just rethought that? You know, I just was like, I'm, I'm just thinking I was arguing with someone on Twitter. They're like, you wanted to ban Donald Trump. I said, that's probably the cleanest thing because it doesn't get them into as much trouble. Yeah. But I rethought that. And I'm like, okay, this is what I'd like to see. And it's a, a part of an ongoing sense. So what do you, what do you, um, let's start with the thing that you think has had the most impact in a good way. And what's something you have rethought? So I think the thing that's, you know, we've been able to contribute to the world is, is this sense that um, profitability and sustainability for yeah. small businesses and, and hopefully large businesses is a big deal um, and is important. And I think that it's funny because now you're finally starting to see VCs talk about sustainability and profitability when before mm -hmm. it was like profits is a mistake. Why not pour every penny, every single yeah. penny into your business and, and right. lose money forever and right. you know we'll gain market share and eventually make, make money later? That's just right. not, it doesn't work that way. And that thing, I think that's kind of proven out at this point. I mean, Uber continues to lose what billions they a do year. Indeed, it, it's that's a shitty business. The corner, the 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 dry cleaner in the corner is a better business than Uber. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the pizza shop in the corner is a better business than Uber. Um, so, you know, I think sustainability, profitability, and longevity are important things. Yes, they are um, making. This is the new thing. It really. Yes, yeah, so, and we've been talking about this for forever. And I think right. you know, I, I'm not taking credit for that, but like we've been vocal about it. And I think that's important. The other thing is, of course, remote work which is remote work is, is super viable. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. It's not for everybody. It's not yeah. for every business, but it's for a hell of a lot more than people thought right. before. Um, I'm very, very pleased that people are now getting the opportunity to have more options in where they live and where they work. I am a little bit concerned long-term about uh, downward pressure on salaries and some of that, but I think the optionality is a wonderful thing. So I'm very pleased to see that. Mm -hmm. I think speaking to that for something we've sort of changed our mind on, um, is, is, you know, having an office. We've had an office. We've had an HQ for pretty much our entire existence for 20 years, different right. ones. Yeah. And now we're going officeless. And for a while, I was kind of arguing that we really need a place. It's really good to have a place. And you know what? Like, even though we're almost always remote anyway, this whole thing showed us that we really, truly don't need a place. And so I think we've changed our mind on that. We're all in on fully remote for a while and see how that shakes out. Are you um, going to have people meet together once a year, twice a year? Things? So we used to fly everybody into Chicago twice a year to meet. And right now, of course, we're not doing that. Until there's a vaccine, we're, no one is getting together at our company. Um, yeah. And who knows how long that'll be. When that happens, we will do that because I do think it's important. I really do think it's important for people occasionally to All get together. All that money you saved, you can have a big take them somewhere cool. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah. Um, but also there's this thing, it's not only for the people who know each other, it's for new employees. Right. It's for people getting to feel like they're part of something again. And we can do it virtually as best we can, but there's nothing like sitting down for a meal with people occasionally yeah. a few times a year for sure. So we want to get back to that when we can, once there's a vaccine. All right. No office with Jason Freed. It is a pleasure <laughs> to talk to you. It's such a pleasure. Always fun. Always such fun. A Thank pleasure. you. Anyway, and I'm sure we'll see each other. We want to bring you to code when we have that again. Yep, that's back like on that. again. So have some more. At some point it is. <laughs> anyway, you can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Eric Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Jason, where can people find you and Basecamp online? And hey. And hey, so on Twitter, I'm at at Jason Freed, F-R-I-E-D. Basecamp is basecamp.com and hey, the new email app, new email service is at hey.com. That's a good URL you got there. Oh yeah, there's a long story behind that one. Oh, oh, come on, quickly, very quickly. Sure, I wrote something up about it, but a couple years ago, um, I when we started working on this product, well actually, stepping back real quick, for forever, I've always basically started my emails out with hey, first yeah. name, dash, yeah. and then the yeah. email. And so when we were thinking about making an email app, I'm like, we should, hey would be an amazing name for an email app. Yeah. So I, I wrote, I went to hey.com to see who owned it. A fellow owned it, guy owned it, and I, I wrote him out of the blue. I said, would you be willing to sell this? This was about two years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, he, he said, not really, but maybe, let's talk. And, and it took about a year and a half to negotiate the thing. And there's times when he's like, no, and there's times when he's like, maybe, and we kind of went back and forth. <laughs> and at the end of the day, like we stuck to it, and he came out really well, and we're very content with what, what happened and how we paid and everything. We can't share the number because we're under NDA yeah. for that. Yeah. But what was cool is this guy owned the URL since 1995. Right. So he was kind of the original owner of the URL, of the name, and he used it. He wasn't a domain squatter. He was a small business owner. And um, I wrote this whole thing up. If you, if you Google um, 
how we acquired hay.com. You can read the whole story. All right. I shared some of the emails back and forth too. Great. Okay. Thank you so much. That's a great time. You know, I'll tell you sometimes the story about food.com some other time. Ooh, okay. I had the guy who sold that. He did All rather right. well. The, the site did not do as well. Mm. Anyway, if you like this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you share it with a friend and make sure to check out our other podcasts, Pivot, Reset, Recode Media, and Land of the Giants. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice or tap a link in the show notes. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Rabe. Special thanks to squadcast.fm. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd all mom? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.